Well, good morning, church. How are you doing? Awesome. You look good. You look good. Everybody's in their Easter best. What an awesome opportunity to gather together. You don't realize uh, how awesome it is to gather together until you can't gather together for about a whole year, right? And so, man, what a great opportunity to be here uh, this morning. How awesome is it to celebrate uh, baptisms, celebrate baptisms. We celebrated one this morning, and we're going to celebrate four more at the 11 a.m. service. God is working uh, in our church. He's working uh, in our community, and it's just incredible to watch as God restores life. And that's what Easter is all about, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus as he begins to not only resurrect uh, himself, but now he is resurrecting men and women just like you from death to life uh, in Christ. And we could not be more excited about that. So happy Easter today. We're kicking off a new series called Re-Engage. If this is your first time here in a while, you came on a perfect uh, Sunday. Uh, we're going to be in this series for the next five weeks uh, talking about what it looks like to re-engage uh, with Jesus. Why do I say re-engage? Billy, you may say, well, I, I don't really feel like I've disengaged. Well, uh, the year 2020 was a very difficult year for a lot of us. Uh, it was a very, it was a year filled with distraction. It was a year filled uh, with isolation, with shock. There were things going on that, honestly, I've never been through in my life and, and you've never been through in your life. It was kind of a year to remember for sure, uh, but it was also a year spiritually where you would have thought people uh, would have engaged more in their relationship with God, but I was reading some statistics this week about how uh, the pandemic actually moved people away from God uh, in our country rather than to God. The average Bible reading time actually dropped uh, significantly, even though we had more time on our hands. And so over the next five weeks, what I want to do is challenge you through the Word of God to engage in your relationship with Jesus like never before. If you have your Bible, I want you to open up to Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 is where we'll be this morning. We'll be looking at the first uh, three verses. I want to pray for us, and uh, we'll jump right in. So, Father, again, we love you. Uh, God, as we move into your word, we believe uh, what you say about your word. God, it is living and active, God, and your spirit empowers it, Lord, to speak to our hearts, God, to cut straight to our hearts, God, to renew our minds, and God, to speak life into us. So, Father, I pray as we look at your word that you would show us who you are. God, for the Bible's a book about you. And, God, that you would show us who we are. God, because we need that. We need a mirror that reflects to us who we truly are. And, God, we would be honest about that. And, Father, I pray you'd show us how great of a Savior we have in Jesus Christ. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3 says this. Therefore... Since we, have surrounded, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For, our, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
If you know anything about the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11 has just rolled out to us what many call the hall of faith. It is kind of the the hall of fame when it comes to the Christian faith. We see uh, these saints throughout the Old Testament and the author of Hebrews goes through and explains uh, exactly what their faith looked like and kind of lays them out as, hey, here's here's what the faith has looked like in the past. And the author gets to Hebrews 12 and he says, now, These witnesses have surrounded us. And he goes on to say, the same way they ran their race, I'm urging you to run your race. And so as you think about this idea of engaging with Jesus like never before, I want you to think about it athletically. Not that you're performing for salvation, but once we're saved and are filled with the Holy Spirit, God's asking us to run a race that he has marked out for us. And so today I wanna talk to you about three things that I think will help you run this race or engage with Jesus Christ like never before. The first one is this. We gotta surround ourselves with witnesses. We gotta surround ourselves with witnesses. You will not get very far in the Christian race, in the faith, if you do not surround yourself with people that can encourage you, that have gone before you and have been faithful in their relationship with God. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, again, he's referring back to these guys in chapter 11, uh, these heroes of the faith, Moses, Joshua, Abraham, all of these guys that we've been talking about. And he uses two key words, surrounded and witnesses. Surrounded means that he wants us to keep these guys in close proximity, to think about them, to surround ourselves with the same mindsets in other people. Witnesses uh, is the same word in the Greek that we get the word martyr from. These are people that are willing to die for the faith. These are people that are, were faithful. They ran their race faithfully until the end. Faithful people that love Jesus and that are living for Jesus, have lived for Jesus. The author is showing us a connection between community and endurance. He's showing us a connection between community and spiritual strength. If we want to engage with Christ, if we want to be strong in our relationship with God, we need to surround ourselves with community. On the opposite end, the author's showing us uh, that there's a connection between isolation in the Christian faith and giving up. If we don't surround ourselves with people that can encourage us in our faith, we won't make it very long. Our relationship with God will be weak because we need encouragement. We need people around us. That connection, we say it this way, isolation in the Christian life is spiritual suicide. Isolation in the Christian life is like spiritual suicide. It's basically basically saying, I'm not going to make it, so let me sign up not to make it in the Christian life. But on the other hand, we always say this, real life change happens in community. Community is where real life change happens, and we need to understand this as believers. God has designed the Christian life to be lived in community, in the midst of witnesses, where we have people around us that can encourage us. We're created in the image of God. We know this in Genesis, that God created us in his image. Well, what is his image? We just sang it. Praise the Father, the Son, The Holy Spirit, God is one, but he's three persons. He in himself is a community. If we're designed in the image of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, then we are designed to be and live in community. We need people around us. We're not created to do life alone. This is what the church is all about. 
You guys have heard me say this before. The church is not an event to attend. It's a family to belong to. We need to understand this in our lives. Listen, church is not just coming to a Sunday service, dressing up, sitting in, worshiping together. That's great. It's awesome. It definitely spurs us on, and it's a part of it. But listen, there's, there's three, 400 people in this room right now. If you look around, you're not gonna be able to get to know all these people. They're not gonna be able to get to know you on the level that God wants you to have community in your life. You need a family to belong to. That's what our connect groups here at Connection are all about. Listen, we wanna put you in a, in a group of eight to 12 people that love God, that wanna faithfully pursue God. Not perfect people, but normal people that wanna pursue the Lord that are open and honest about them struggling to do so so that we can encourage each other and we can help each other. Nothing will hinder your spiritual growth faster than the absence of Christian community. Let me show you this. Can you think about sitting around a room? Any of you guys, uh, if you've been here for a while, you know uh, what small groups are all about, right? You've kind of heard us. If, if you're used to the Sunday school model, there's nothing wrong with the Sunday school model. Small groups is just a different thing, a little bit smaller. I want you to imagine what it would do for your faith if you were in a small group with Abraham, we're just talking the Bible, this is hypothetic, obviously these guys are dead, we'll meet them one day in heaven, but right now we can't. Moses, Joshua, Paul, and Peter. I want you to imagine just on a weekly basis, you guys are sitting around a circle, and on one side of the circle you got Abraham. If you know anything about Abraham, Abraham was a man of faith. Anything God told him to do, he was willing to do it. He wasn't perfect, right? He struggled with this idea of faith, but uh, later on in his life, he pretty much learned if God tells him to do something, he's gonna make a way and that he needs to listen and obey. Can you imagine being in his small group and, and you kind of talking, man, I've just been struggling with reading my Bible, you know, like I just can't figure out how to make time to do this, you know, and what would Abraham say to us? Abraham would be like, man, why would you live any other way than listening to God and doing what he said? I want you to imagine going around the circle and sharing about your relationship with God. Hey, man, how's your week been? Moses is in there. You say, hey, Moses, how, how's your week been spiritually, man? What, what's going on with you? How, how's it been? Well, uh, I'll tell you how it's been. Uh, we were enslaved in Egypt, and, and, and God told me, to go back to Egypt and deliver these people. And I stuck a staff in the ground when God told me to do so and the Red Sea parted. And so I don't know what you've been doing lately, but I've been parting Red Seas so that the Israelites can come through. Can you imagine the, the faith? You'd be like, man, are you serious? How do you do that? Tell me more about that. What, what is it that God is doing in your life that he's not doing in my life? And we're bouncing around the circle. Next, you come to Joshua. It's like, man, this guy's dressed in his little military uniform. This is kind of cute. Wonder what he's up to, right? Hey, Joshua, how's your week been? Well, I'm learning about listening to God and doing what he says. God sent me to a place called Jericho and said uh, to march around this city. It was almost a shot at my pride because I'm a pretty good military general. I've pretty much taken over a lot of people. But what I've learned throughout my life is that life is not about me and what I can do in my performance. Life is about obedience. Life is about listening to God and doing what he says, even when it's hard and even when it don't make sense. So when God tells you to do something that doesn't make sense, 
I'd advise you to do it because I've seen God do some pretty cool things in my life. Next, we got Paul. We're just circling this thing around. This is an everyday week in your life. You're coming in on a Wednesday night. You're strained spiritually. don't feel like you're growing very much. You're just discouraged in your faith. And Paul comes in and he says, hey, man, what are you doing? Why are you putting so much pressure on yourself? Why are you trying to perform for God? Listen, I've been there. I've been caught up in this religious system where I'm trying to check every box that I can and I'm basing God's love for me off of how much I can do for the kingdom and how much I can do in the church and in religion. He says, but listen, that's not what it's about. The thing that I count of surpassing worth in my life, the thing that's worth more to me than anything else is a relationship with God. How would that encourage you as you begin to get in this cycle of performance where we like to try to perform for God like he's impressed with us? I mean, the Bible's already told us our most righteous deeds are filthy rags in the presence of God, that we are not righteous, but God has given us righteous. So we focus on him in a relationship with God and allowing to work in. And then we move to Peter and Peter's like, hey, I'm gonna let me tell you straight up, right? That's just how Peter is. Peter's gonna look at you and he's gonna tell you exactly what's going on. He says, listen, I know you're broken. I denied Christ three times. I said some things in the presence of Christ. I chopped a man's ear off because he was coming at Jesus. I've done some stupid things in my life. But here's the thing that I know. Jesus takes stupid, broken, messed up people and does incredible things with them. Could you imagine walking away from that small group? You would be so fired up. Listen, you wouldn't be struggling to read your Bible. You'd be wanting to read your Bible. You'd be wanting to go out and live for God. You'd be wanting God to do something incredible in your life. Listen, this is what God has designed in community to happen. But many of us, were living in isolation, and that isolation is killing us. God wants us to be in a community of people that can spur us on in our faith toward love and good deeds. The Christian life is a community project. So let me ask you a question. Who are you surrounding your life with? Who are you surrounding yourself? Who who are the people that surround you in this life? Are they people that spur you on? That, 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 that move you to be more devoted to God? Or are they people that draw you into complacency? Because listen, there is a disease in the South, in the Bible Belt, that says you can love God and just kind of stay the same. That you can be a Christian and not really grow as long as you've been baptized and you've gotten out of this line going uh, to hell and gotten in this line going to heaven. You're good, man. Just keep, you know, keep rolling it out. It's okay. But that's not what, what Christianity is all about. It's a salvation is the beginning. Baptism is the beginning. God wants to grow us and use us so that when people look at our lives, we can look more and more like Jesus. And us looking more and more like Jesus has to do a lot with who we surround ourselves with. You show me who you surround yourself with and I'll show you who you're becoming, right? My football coach used to always tell me that and it's so true. So who are you surrounding yourself with? People that spur you on, people that draw you into complacency, or people that lead you astray? 
The second thing I wanna point out from Hebrews chapter 12 to help us re-engage, engage in our relationship with God is not only surrounding ourselves with witnesses, but also to fixing our eyes on Jesus. We gotta fix our eyes on Jesus. There might not be a more important thing that I'll ever say at our church than fix your eyes on Jesus. Listen to the author of Hebrews, verse one. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders, underline throw off right there, and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run the, the, with perseverance the race marked out for us, underline run the race, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. There's two very important words in here, pioneer and perfecter, underline those, pioneer and perfecter. Uh, pioneer means author. Uh, it means that, that Jesus is the author of our faith. He started it. He came up with it. It began with him. He started the work of faith. Perfecter means finisher. That means that the work of faith that he started in our life, he will be the one that finishes it. This is good news for you and I. That he who began, Philippians 1.8, uh, who began a good work in me will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. The pressure is off of you and the pressure is on the Holy Spirit to do a work in your life. God's already promised it will. All we gotta do is get out of the way. And that's a big task, right? We gotta back off, we gotta get away. So how do we do this? I want you to listen to me clearly. The gospel message is not work harder or be better. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know what you've been told. I don't know who told you. But the message of Jesus Christ, the good news of Christ, is not that you need to work harder or be better in your own strength to be saved. The message of the gospel is to fix your eyes on Jesus, to trust in his finished work on the cross and let him work in and through you through the power of his Holy Spirit. It's yielding to the work of the Spirit in our life. You see the difference in those things. Religion says, hey, this is about you, and Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ says this is about me and what I can do in and through you. There's a big difference in those two things. You say, Billy, that's great. Uh, what does that look like in my life? Well, let me help you. Three things that it shows us uh, in these verses. Letter A, we need to throw off. We need to learn this phrase, throw off. Well, what are we throwing off? Tell us. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. So we're throwing off anything or everything that hinders us in our relationship with God, and then we're throwing off any sin that entangles us. You notice how he differentiated between those two things. So just because we're not falling into a lot of sin or big sin in our life that we've labeled doesn't mean there aren't things in our life that may be morally good that we need to throw off because they're hindering us from growing in our relationship with God. So let me ask you uh, two questions. One, what is hindering your growth right now? What is hindering your growth right now? This doesn't have to be sin. It doesn't even have to be bad things. Most likely, it's a good thing that has become a hindrance in your relationship with God. Listen, comfort is not a bad thing. I like to be comfortable. But if comfortable gets in the way of me listening and obeying Jesus, it is a hindrance. Listen, security, safety uh, uh, is a good thing. 
But when it gets in the way of us listening and obeying Christ, it's an issue. Control, whatever, money, hobbies, children activities, sports, Netflix binging, Disney Plus, Facebook scrolling, time management, TikToking on your phone. I don't know what you're doing. But those things in themselves are not bad. They can be used for the glory of God, but when they become a hindrance in our relationship with God and keep us from growing spiritually, the Bible teaches we need to get rid of it. Listen to a quote from one of my favorite pastors. He says this, my life is governed by this rule. Anything that dims my vision of Christ or takes away my taste for Bible study or cramps my prayer life or makes Christian work difficult is wrong for me. And I must, as a Christian, turn away from it. Throw it off, as the author of Hebrews would say. This isn't gentle language. Have you ever seen somebody throw something up against the wall? Hopefully it wasn't out of anger, right? But maybe this is in, uh, you've seen somebody throw something up against the wall and just shatter it. That's the picture that Hebrews has given us of what we should do with anything that's hindering our relationship with God, when good things become God things, when they become central and they begin to uh, d- d- just uh, d- distract us or lure us to sleep spiritually, they become a bad thing and we need to get rid of them in our life. The second question is what sin is entangling you? So not just what good thing is distracting you or, or disengaging you from your relationship with God, but what sin is entangling you? How many hunters do I have in the room or people that just like to be in the outdoors and like to walk around? And One of the things that you'll learn, uh, specifically during turkey season, uh, is that spiders are everywhere, right? Have you ever been walking through the woods and I hunt in a lot of planted pines and so, you know, you're walking through and my wife hates it way worse than I do. Anytime we're like riding or walking, uh, there's these things called banana spiders. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Banana spot. I don't even know if that's the right name. Y'all are probably thinking he's an idiot. But these things are huge. I'm talking like, like big. I, I don't even think they can hurt you or anything like that. I've never been bit by one, uh, never even caused. But man, when you walk into a banana spider web, it feels like you've been shot by Spider-Man. You know what I mean? Like it is literally just wraps all the way around your head. At that point, you probably didn't see the spider, so you don't know where the spider's at. Uh, you know, most of the time we're riding uh, our little ranger through the woods, and man, that, that we hit a spider web, and boom, that thing just wraps all the way around the car. The spider slings in and gets on Kate, you know, and she starts running and jumping. I've never seen her run that fast in my life until we hit a spider web. Well, when the Bible teaches us that sin entangles us, that's what it's talking about, is it's like a spider web. Have you ever seen how a spider catches a fly or how a spider catches insects? They catch it in the web and it's sticky and it sticks to them and then suddenly the spider will just wait and then he'll go over there and usually if they're poisonous, they'll bite it, let it die from the poison, kind of go off to it and then ultimately when it finishes its work, the spider will come and consume it. The Bible says that's exactly what sin does is it entangles us. It starts by luring us in. James 1 says it's like a fishing lure that just whatever we like, it just lures us in. Uh, Next come the lies and the promises. Think about Eve in the garden. It says that she looked at the fruit and it was good for food. It was pleasing to her eye. It was desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took it 
and ate it, right? It, it looks good, it feels good, it seems like it would taste good, it, it, it gives all of these promises of satisfaction and fulfillment, and, and, and finally it convinces us to bite into it. But it always overpromises and underdelivers. It always overpromises and underdelivers, and it always leads to destruction. Destruction in our life spiritually, destruction in our life physically many times. That's what sin does, it entangles us. So when you think about sin entangling your life, what sin is this describing in your life? Many times in my life, it, it may be lying, right? You think about lying as being a sin. I remember before I got saved, it was like any time that I needed to look good in front of somebody, I would just kind of over-exaggerate. You know what I'm talking about? Like, hey, this is kind of over-exaggerate my football career, over-exaggerate my strength, or over-exaggerate my ability, or who my girlfriend was, or who blah, 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 all this stuff to make myself look better. A lot of times when you begin this path of lying, you lie one time, it's just a small lie, this isn't gonna hurt anybody, but then you have to lie to cover it up, and then once you lie to cover it up, you gotta continue to lie, and then you just continue to lie until you're just wrapped up in this spider web where you can't get out of it. For many of us, it's lying. For many of us, it's sexual sin. This is what sexual sin does. Many times, pornography just lures us in. We, we think it's cool. We think it doesn't hurt anybody. You know, we're struggling in our marriage, or, or we've seen somebody that looks cool doing it, so we just slide into it. And then suddenly it becomes an addiction that follows us all the way for the rest of our life and it's secret so nobody knows. But it begins to entangle and it begins to cause issues in our life. For some of us it's greed, control, selfishness, whatever it is. The author of Hebrews is saying you're just caught in that web and like that fly, at some point the spider's gonna destroy it. And that sin will always overpromise and it'll always underdeliver and it will lead you to destruction. And in this passage, God's given us a clear instruction. He says, throw it off. Don't play around with sin. No matter how small you think it is, don't play around with it. Throw it off, it will destroy you. It always takes you further than you wanna go. It keeps you longer than you wanna stay and it costs you more than you wanna pay. So not only do we need to throw off, letter B, we need to suit up. Suit up. This isn't in the passage, but it was all I could think about as I was thinking about fixing our eyes on Jesus. Ephesians chapter six tells us to put on the armor of God. How many of you guys are familiar with the armor of God? Uh, the armor of God. It's, it's what God wants us to put on if we want to fight in the Christian life. To be a Christian is to be at war. We need to understand to be a Christian is to be at war. If you aren't fighting, then you aren't running the race. It's why Paul tells us to put on the armor of God because we are at war with our sin. We are at war with an enemy that's trying to destroy us and we have to fight to fix our eyes on Jesus because we are, are prone to wonder. Our hearts are prone to drift away from God. And the Bible gives us an incredible battle plan in Ephesians chapter 6, 10 uh, through 18. It tells us, listen, uh, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. I'm gonna bounce down to where it starts. Verse 14, he says, stand firm then with the belt of truth 
buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness of the, that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up your shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. He says, if we want to stand strong, if we want to fight, if we want to continue to run the race, then we need to suit up in the belt of truth. We need to know the truth, God's word. We got to know it. If we don't know it, we can't apply it. We can't recognize the lies of the enemy, the lies of sin. He says, strap on the breastplate of righteousness, which protects our most vulnerable area. And he says, know where our righteousness comes from. Listen, as a Christian, we don't fight for righteousness. We don't have to earn our righteousness. In Christ, we've been given our righteousness. Christ has given, done everything necessary to give his righteousness to us. And so now we live in the righteousness that he has already given us. He says, your feet fitted with the gospel of peace. We gotta know where our peace is found. Listen, so many of us spend our entire life looking for peace and fulfillment in all of the wrong places that will never give it to us. It's meant to be found in the gospel and our feet are meant to walk in the gospel so that we can live out of peace, not live looking for peace. He says the shield of faith, trusting that God's power will protect you, right? We're guarding, it's a defensive weapon. And then he gives us two offensive weapons if we wanna suit up. The helmet of salvation is another, hold on, one more defensive. The helmet of salvation. He says we need to think, our thoughts matter. We gotta think the word of God. We gotta think like a saved person. Don't think like the old man before Christ. Think like the new man in Christ. If we wanna do that, we gotta renew our mind with the word of God. And then he gives us our two offensive weapons, the sword of the spirit and prayer. He says the sword of the spirit, how do we fight the enemy? How do we fight to, to finish the race that God's put before us? We know the word of God, we apply the word of God and we pray because prayer unlocks the power of God. It connects us to the power of God in our life. So not only do we, uh, do we pray continually, uh, not only do we suit up, right? Not only do we gotta throw off, but the third thing is we gotta run the race. We gotta run the race. This is the main point of the text. Run with endurance. This is the picture that he's given us. We run with endurance. The author assumes here that the race is gonna be long. I mean, you guys hate running. I hate running, right? He's not talking about a sprint. You know, at least some of us can make it through a five, 10, maybe 20 yard sprint on our best day. He's talking about a long race, a race of endurance. I got a graphic that I wanna show you that I think explains how most of us view our relationship uh, with God. This looks like a heartbeat, but it's my graphic about how you view your relationship with God. If, if you're the line, many of us in our relationship with God, we have highs and we have lows, right? So again, we're focused on our performance, right? So uh, maybe we, we get saved and we come out and man, maybe we, uh, we, we, we get baptized. And so man, we're, we're at a high, right? But then the next week something happens and we do something stupid and then we're back low, but then the next week we read our Bible and, and we share Christ and somebody gets saved, we bounce back up. But then we kind of drift away and we go back down to the bottom and we spend our life up, down, up, down, up, down. 
but that's not how the Christian life, that may be true of your Christian life, but that's not how God wants us to focus. When he says to fix our eyes on Christ and run the race, the best way to run the race is not focused on your performance, it's focused on Christ because he's consistent. You and I are anything but consistent, but Christ is consistent. The best way to run the Christian race is not focus on our performance, but on Christ, because Christ has already won the race. So we're not running to win, we're running from victory. Now we're running into the identity that God has already given us. And how do we do this? A lot of people spend their entire Christian life thinking about the big moments, the big moments, the big moments but the race is not won in the big moments. They're important, but the race is won in the small moments, the daily disciplines that we have in our life, not only the daily disciplines, the everyday steps, the consistent rhythms that we create in our life. And you say, Billy, well, I'm busy, man. I don't have time for all these things. I tell you, I'm right there with you. Listen, I'm busy too. I got a wife, I got two kids. I'm a full-time pastor of a church. I'm a t-ball coach on the side, right? I got a lot of stuff going on, a lot of things I'm involved in, but ultimately I know what the most important thing in my life is. And that's my relationship with God. And where we spend our time and our energy and our money shows us what's most important to us. And if we wanna run the race, we gotta be willing to cultivate some disciplines in our lives, some consistent rhythms that help us see God, that, that focus on God in our life, whatever that looks like. Keeping our eyes on Jesus in a world full of distractions is hard. But if we wanna keep our eyes on Jesus, listen, we gotta throw off what's hindering us. We gotta throw off the sin that entangles us. We gotta suit up in the armor of God. And we gotta be willing to run the race. And that's not just an overarching theme for our life, that's daily that God wants us to do that. And then lastly, if we wanna re-engage with Jesus, most importantly, we need to consider the gospel. Listen to this. For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him, big word, consider him. Think about Christ, meditate on Christ, keep our eyes fixed on Christ because it is the gospel that points us to Jesus and the gospel is what fuels the Christian life. Consider Christ, consider the cross, consider the resurrection. How do we think about the gospel? Listen, most of us, we come in here on a Sunday and we think about God for about an hour, hour, 15 minutes, depending on how long I preach. But then we walk out of these doors and our, our life is so busy and so hectic that we don't even have to think about God ever again unless we're in an emergency and we need to call on him real fast. But listen, we're not gonna be able to, to live the life God's called us to live if we're not thinking about God, considering Christ on a daily basis, multiple times throughout the day, focused on Jesus. How do we do this? Well, we, we gotta consider Jesus. Think about it. It's just, I, wanna just, I wanna just point you to the gospel right here. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. What was the joy set before God? 
that helped him endure the, the most worst thing you could ever think of in your entire life from a human physical standpoint? What was the joy set before him? What was the joy set before him? What was it that held Christ to the cross? Was it the nails? No, he was God. He could have said, hey, nails out, bloom. They would have shot out. Nobody killed Jesus. He gave himself willingly. According to verse two, it was the joy that awaited him on the other side. What did Jesus obtain after the cross that he didn't have before the cross? It was you. It was you, it was reconciling you to himself. Before the cross, we had no way to God, but God came and made a way. As he was on the cross, he was thinking about redemption. He was thinking about reconciling you back to himself. You talk about what moves you in the Christian life. And when Jesus was on the cross, you were on his mind. There's nothing that glorifies God more than reconciling lost, dead people back to himself. The glory of God that was on Christ's mind on the cross was you and I reconciling us back to himself. If Christ felt this way about you, doesn't that make you want to long for him? Doesn't it make you, doesn't want to empower you to give up everything you have to follow him? Doesn't it make you willing to suffer for his sake because he was willing to suffer for yours? If Christ gave himself up so that you could be saved, doesn't that make you willing to give up what you have so that others can be saved? When we consider Christ and consider the motivation that he came to this earth, he left heaven, came to earth, humbled himself, obedient all the way to the point of death on a cross. It moves us. This is what the Bible talks about, the power of God for salvation. When we consider Christ and who he is on the cross, it motivates us. Not only that, but we gotta remember and consider the cross. I want you to think about Jesus on the cross. The cross is the single greatest act of love in human history. There's nothing that has the power to move us more than considering the blood-stained cross of Jesus Christ. When we come face to face with the cross, that's why we sing about it. That's why we elevate it in our preaching. It's not about your performance, it's about what Christ has already done. Because when we come face to face with the cross, we see the heart of God. Nothing moves you more than the heart of God. We see the depth of his love, the generosity in his heart, uh, the heart of service that's in him. The ultimate cost of sin was death. We see that. We see the punishment that you and I deserve because of our sin. We see the greatest act of forgiveness ever. And when we look at the cross, listen, it doesn't just show us who God is. It shows us who we should be. We learn true humility. It was my sin that put Jesus on the cross. We, we, we learn how to love others unconditionally. We learn how to serve others sacrificially. We learn how to live a life of generosity. We learn how to give ourselves away for the good of others. But the cross only has power in your life if you believe you need it. The cross will only have power in your life if it becomes personal to you. If you look at Jesus on the cross and it's foreign and it's something you've been taught your whole life, but it never becomes personal. It never becomes, it was my sin that put him there. It'll never have any power in your life. But when you understand how much you need Christ and how much you need salvation, 
you look at the cross, a symbol of death, and it gives you the greatest hope forever. But it doesn't stop there. We gotta consider the resurrection. This is what Easter's all about. We're celebrating the victory of the resurrection. The resurrection is the foundation of our faith. It's the Super Bowl. Easter is the Super Bowl of the Christian faith. The cross shows us God's willingness to save us. The resurrection shows us his power to do so. Not only is he willing, but he has the power to save us. Think about the implications of the resurrection on your life. Listen, because of the resurrection, you can trust that Jesus is who he says he is. Because of the resurrection, you can trust that we are who Jesus says we are. Because of the resurrection, you and I can be born again. Because of the resurrection, you and I can be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you and me. Because of the resurrection, we can live our lives with power, with victory over sin and death. Because of resurrection, uh, we have hope beyond death. We don't have to wait for death and be scared of it. We have hope beyond death. Because of the resurrection, our eternity is secure forever. There's nothing greater, there's nothing worth celebrating more than the resurrection. When we consider the gospel in our life, I'm telling you, everything changes. This is why we need it on the, on the walls of our house. This is why we need to be listening to it in the car. This is why we need to be listening to it on Sunday mornings. This is why we need to be reminded of it every day in our time with the Lord. Whatever you gotta do to consider Christ, consider the cross, consider the resurrection, it is the fuel that motivates you to run the race. For some of us, we're sputtering. We're losing heart, as the author of Hebrews would say. We're growing weary, why? Because we've taken our eyes off Jesus. We've forgotten how much we need Jesus. We've taken our eyes off of him. We've put it back on our own performance. Am I good enough? God, am I doing enough? That's not the call of the Christian faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus and run the race. Right where you are, I want you to bow your head. For many of us in this room, we, we've, we've never done this. Our whole life has been about trying to add up for God, trying to be a better person, trying to do the right thing so that God would love you, but that's not the gospel. This morning, I want you to hear clearly, the gospel is that God loves you. The gospel is that you are a sinner that deserves to be punished by the wrath of God eternally. But in God's love, he didn't punish you, he punished his own son so that you could find eternal life in him, the abundant life that you were created to live. You could be reconciled back into a relationship with God. And for some of us, today's a day where we don't have a relationship with God. And today, I'd ask you, would you receive the grace of God? Would you allow him to transform your life? If you're in here this morning, you said, Billy, I don't have a relationship with God, but I want one. Would you just lift your hand right where you are? I wanna pray for you. Before we sing, I wanna pray. Anybody in here, you'd say, Billy, that's me. Raise it high. So Father, for the rest of us, here's my prayer. God, the gospel moves us to respond. God, as we sing about the hope that we have in you, God, would you do a work in our hearts? Would we be a people that fix our eyes on you and that run the race that you've called us to run? God, God would you move us 
to re-engage with you during this Easter season. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.